This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. A win for U.S. taxpayers. That's what one lawmaker is calling new action by the Energy Department. The agency is pulling a $200 million grant from battery company Microvast. The company was found to have close links to Beijing and admitted China influences its business. All that as the giant project aims to foster battery making here in the U.S. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. Energy Department is pulling the plug on a $200 million energy grant. The funding was earmarked for lithium battery company Microvast Holdings. But lawmakers have raised concerns about its links to the Chinese Communist Party and called on the agency to reconsider. GOP Congressman Frank Lucas called the decision to revoke the money a win for taxpayers and American businesses, adding that these funds are intended to strengthen America's battery production and supply chain, not to tighten China's stranglehold on these supplies. The grant stemmed from the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure law from 2021 and would go toward building a new plant in Tennessee. It would also support R&D for specialized electric vehicle battery separator technology developed by both General Motors and Microvast. The Energy Department considers a range of factors before handing out awards, including the company's ability to perform tasks outlined by the grant, its audit record and accounting system. Candidates must also hand over a lot of confidential details, which are weighed in the department's final decision. Microvast was one of 20 companies selected for the grant, designed to strengthen battery making on U.S. soil. But based on Securities and Exchange Commission data from last month, nearly 70 percent of its revenue came from China, with just 3 percent from the U.S. The company also admitted Beijing exerts substantial influence over its operation and may intervene at any time and with no notice. Asked about the news Tuesday, a spokesperson for China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said what the U.S. government decides about U.S. companies is a matter for the U.S. itself, and I will not comment on it. Microvast did not immediately respond to a press request for comment. TikTok is suing the state of Montana. Starting next year, a new bill will ban the app within state borders. The social media company filed a lawsuit Monday, alleging the ban violates the Constitution as well as other federal laws. Entities Jeremy Sandberg has more on the legal challenges facing the ban. TikTok on Monday filed its lawsuit challenging the first state to ban the app. The China-owned company argues the ban violates First Amendment rights of the company and users. The lawsuit says a ban would violate the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution and is preempted by federal law because it intrudes upon matters of exclusive federal concern. It's the second lawsuit against the state since the ban was announced. A group of five content creators citing First Amendment rights sued Montana last week. Proponents of the state law are concerned the app could be used to allow the Chinese regime access to U.S. citizens' information or push pro-Beijing messages and misinformation to influence the public. A Montana Department of Justice spokesperson stated the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, is using TikTok as a tool to spy on Americans by collecting keystrokes, personal information, and locations of users. 
A bipartisan group of lawmakers in the U.S. Senate, along with the heads of the FBI and CIA, have all said TikTok could pose a national security threat because its Beijing-based parent company ByteDance operates under Chinese law. China's national intelligence law requires that companies cooperate with the CCP for state intelligence work. The ban takes effect on January 1st next year. It prohibits downloads of TikTok in the state and would fine app stores or TikTok $10,000 per day for making the app available to personal devices. Penalties would not apply to users. The statewide ban would be void if the platform is sold to a company not based in a country designated as a foreign adversary. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Legal action in the Sunshine State. A group of Chinese citizens living in Florida sued the state on Monday in an effort to strike down a law that would ban Chinese nationals from buying property in Florida. The four plaintiffs are representative by the American Civil Liberties Union. They called the law discriminatory against Chinese people. Governor Ron DeSantis signed the law earlier in May, saying that it would help protect Americans from the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. The governor is expected to announce his presidential bid Wednesday. The law takes effect July 1st. If violated, buyers and sellers would face felony charges. Plus, the rule gives the state the power to seize their properties. The law covers the ownership of agricultural lands and properties near the state's critical infrastructure, like oil processing facilities and military installations. Those who already own properties within that area must register with the state. Otherwise, they'll face fines up to $1,000 per day. Following in Florida's footsteps, the push to block Beijing from owning U.S. land is growing. 27 states are now considering whether to restrict foreigners from buying farmland. But Louisiana is taking it one step further. The state's lawmakers are set to vote on two bills this week. The state House bill, scheduled for Tuesday, would ban people from China from owning or renting property in Louisiana. Though that wouldn't apply to U.S. citizens, legal permanent residents, or people on student or employer visas, meaning most Chinese people legally in the U.S. would not face restrictions. The second bill, the state Senate bill, is up for a vote on Monday. If passed, the rule would ban citizens of foreign adversaries from owning or renting land within 50 miles of U.S. military facilities, with one exception, if the person has legal permanent resident status. Over in Florida, the Sunshine State's bill addresses similar concerns. People from countries, including China, are now banned from buying property within 10 miles of a military installation or critical infrastructure. Texas is weighing a similar bill. The measures are facing backlash from some Chinese Americans. They argue the rules could lead to discrimination and hate crimes. All this following reports that Chinese buyers have been scooping up land near U.S. military bases. For example, a Chinese corn milling company bought land 20 minutes away from the Grand Forks Air Force Base in North Dakota. A former Chinese general also bought land near Texas's Laughlin Air Force Base, the largest pilot training base in the U.S. Air Force. More than 150 House Republicans have asked the Environmental Protection Agency to cancel its proposed emission standards. They argue the proposal would saddle consumers with higher costs, isolate Americans in rural areas, and increase economic dependence on China. Let's take a closer look. 
The group is led by Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers. It sent a letter on May 22nd to EPA Administrator Michael Regan. The letter calls standards for light and medium-duty vehicles and heavy-duty trucks unworkable and impractical. The letter also states that a fast shift to electric vehicles would only benefit the Chinese Communist Party. That's because China has a stranglehold on the critical mineral supply chain and the manufacturing of EV batteries. Families torn apart. Next, a glimpse into a brutal suppression of faith in China and how it's changed the lives of millions, including those here in the United States. NTD's Iris Tao has more on a congressional hearing. So please help my father and help the people under the persecution in China. At a congressional hearing, you heard from several U.S. residents whose family members are being persecuted in China because of their faith. Let's take a listen. Ten years ago, my mom was behind the bars and my father was trying his best to save my mom. And ten years later, my father is behind bars. My mom and I are trying our best to save my father. Joe Yu is an engineer and a popular YouTuber living here in the U.S. His dad was recently sentenced to eight years in prison for practicing Falun Gong, a meditation practice based on the values of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. But the Chinese Communist Party deemed the practice's popularity a threat and launched a campaign of persecution that's led to millions being detained and tortured throughout the past two decades. Our family remained separate. And he's not the only one. Lydia Wang wants to rescue her mom, who was arrested 11 times in China for holding on to her faith. She has suffered for 24 years under the CCP's persecution and has been in prison over 10 years since 1999. We would like to bring her home to New York. This is not something that just affects people in China. And Congressman Gus Bilirakis of Florida, who convened this briefing, calls on the U.S. Congress to do more to help. No person should ever be intimidated, forced from their ancestral homeland, imprisoned, or murdered because of simply because of their beliefs. We've just begun to fight. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. More foreign companies are retreating from China as Beijing continues its clampdown. Next up, U.S. e-shopping giant Amazon. The company will soon shut down one of its services in China for the second time this year. In an email sent out Tuesday, Amazon said starting July 17th, the company will suspend its App Store services in China. The notice didn't give a reason for the departure. The news comes as the business environment for American companies in China continues shifting for the worse. In recent months, several companies' offices have been raided by Chinese police. What's more, a new regulation makes it easier for the Chinese regime to accuse foreign companies of so-called espionage. The service shutdown appears to be a follow-up to an earlier Amazon decision. This year, Amazon also announced the closure of its Kindle e-book store in China. By June, Kindle users in China won't be able to buy new e-books through the platform. Beijing widening its control over speech. A recent announcement warned foreign embassies not to display signs it deems propaganda, like those showing messages in solidarity with Ukraine. Analysts call the directive political bullying. Let's take a closer look. In a May 10th notice, China's foreign ministry told foreign embassies not to display politicized propaganda on their buildings in order to avoid inciting disputes between countries. 
Diplomats in Beijing said the order targets solidarity with Ukraine. After Russia waged war on the country last February, foreign missions of the European Union, Britain, Germany, and Poland flew Ukraine's flags on their outer walls. Later, a Ukrainian flag poster outside the Canadian embassy was defaced with an anti-NATO graffiti. China has called for peace in Ukraine but has refrained from condemning Russia. When the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for Russian President Vladimir Putin in March, Xi Jinping made a high-profile visit to Russia, seeking a boost in their cooperation. The Chinese Communist Party has been advocating among its people that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is justified. That is to create public opinion for its armed reunification of Taiwan. Those signs that run counter to Beijing's advocacy would undermine its brainwashing efforts. The Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations shields diplomats from legal sanctions in the country of assignment, but Beijing's notice claims that embassies are obliged to comply with Chinese laws and regulations. Analysts warn that Beijing's control of speech has reached beyond its borders. If foreign embassies pull down the pro-Ukraine flags or signs, the CCP would achieve its goal of political bullying. The communist regime not only seeks to control other countries over international affairs, it even lays its hands on their consulates and tries to meddle in their internal affairs. At least one diplomat says their mission won't comply with Beijing's request. Next, we zoom in on another battlefield between the U.S. and China, the Pacific Islands. Washington just signed deals with three island nations in the region in efforts to counter Beijing's growing influence. Those are with Papua New Guinea, Palau and Micronesia. That's after the Solomon Islands and Beijing signed a secret deal last year that took Washington by surprise. Secretary of State Antony Blinken meeting Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister James Marape, both signing a security pact Monday. We are deeply invested in the Indo-Pacific because our planet's future is being written here. And Papua New Guinea is playing a critical role in shaping that future. The agreement would expand the Pacific Island nation's capabilities and make it easier for the U.S. military to train with its forces. They also struck a separate agreement on increasing maritime surveillance of Papua New Guinea's exclusive economic zone through U.S. Coast Guard patrols, protecting its economy from illegal fishing. President Biden was supposed to be there in person, but cut his trip short, flying back to the U.S. after the G7 summit in Japan to continue debt ceiling talks. As for Palau and Micronesia, the U.S. renewed strategic pacts with them last week, known as COFA Accords. COFA, or Compact of Free Association Agreements, means the U.S. is responsible for the island's defense. It also provides economic assistance while giving the U.S. exclusive strategic presence in return. These deals stretched back to the 1980s and became more important as Beijing ramps up its influence in the region. A new socialist Tibet. That's what Chinese leader Xi Jinping is calling for. On Tuesday, Xi made a rare comment on the region, saying that Tibet must step up its development. The statement comes shortly after the world's top democracies expressed concerns over the human rights issue in Tibet, which angered Beijing. China is often accused of stifling religious and cultural freedoms in the predominantly Buddhist region. Beijing says it peacefully liberated Tibet in 1951 after sending in Chinese troops. Officials said the forceful invasion ended what they called a backward feudal serfdom. After a failed uprising against the regime, Tibet's spiritual leader the Dalai Lama fled the region in 1959. He's since been labeled a separatist by Chinese authorities. 
Coming up, Pacific Island nations are back in the spotlight. Last time, it was because of World War II. But fast forward to today, both the U.S. and China are battling for influence in the region. Why is an area thousands of miles from the U.S. so important? Cleo Pascal, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, breaks it down. Those details in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Pacific Island nations, they rose to prominence during a world war, and now they're back in the spotlight. But the U.S. and China are trying to deepen their ties and boost their influence in the region. But what's really going on there? And how will a battle thousands of miles away from U.S. soil impact Americans? We spoke to Cleo Pascal, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, to find out more. Cleo Pascal, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Really good to be here. Thank you. So zooming in right now, it looks like there's a lot happening in terms of the Pacific Island nations. The U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is actually down in Papua New Guinea, where they just signed a new security pact. So what's significant about this security deal? It's an indication that the U.S. is serious about bilateral relations. A lot of the engagement in the region has been uh, via some of the multinational uh, organizations or else through Australia or through New Zealand. But this is really saying we want to engage with you bilaterally. And Cleo, speaking of kind of the communication and transparency there, President Biden was supposed to be there, but he cut his trip short after the G7 summit. He went back to the U.S. to deal with the debt ceiling crisis and talks there. But with him not going, what message does that send, not just to Papua New Guinea, but the whole region? So the not going was one thing, but the actual going was also a bit of a problem uh, because the uh, the reason that all of the Pacific Island leaders were in Papua New Guinea at that time was because India had convened the third meeting of the Forum for India, and it was supposed to be quite a substantial event with Prime Minister Modi coming himself, um, first Indian Prime Minister to visit Papua New Guinea, and two or three days of meetings with a lot of Indian businesses. And India can really outcompete China in many areas on the ground, which is the entry point China often uses to get into a country, low-cost goods and services. India can do that. And then uh, the president of the United States uh, announced that he was going to come. And so the Indians had to uh, cut Prime Minister Modi's time there short, scale down the delegation. And then President Biden canceled. When Prime Minister Modi landed uh, in uh, Papua New Guinea, there was uh, an incredible um, outpouring of affection, including the prime minister who Prime Minister Papua New Guinea, who touched his feet or went to go touch his feet on the tarmac at the airport, that a gesture of respect um, it has resonated across India, has become front page news in India. True mutual respect between democratic countries that can actually help each other bypass the need for China's engagement. And speaking of that engagement, it seems, too, the U.S. is trying to do some things to kind of regain its influence there. Just last week, the U.S. and Palau and Micronesia renewed their COFA deals, those compacts of free association agreements. What's so significant about these agreements, first of all? 
So the U.S. has a, a unique relationship with three countries in the Central Pacific. If somebody asks you who's the who's the best friend to the United States of America, the answer is Palau, Marshall Islands, and Federated States of Micronesia. This is an area of the Pacific that covers as much territory on the globe as the continental United States. It's massive. It's essentially what gives the U.S. Uh, a corridor of freedom, including freedom of deployment, from Hawaii all the way to treaty allies, Philippines, and Japan. There's a lot of Chinese money floating around. Um, and there's the potential for a real shift in the ability to rely on the compacts of free association to ensure uh, U.S. freedom of m movement across the region, which is what actually underpins a free and open Indo-Pacific. And Cleo, on that note of what the Chinese Communist Party is doing in the area, it seems last year what took many countries by surprise was this secret deal with the Solomon Islands. And in terms of other island nations, it seems one way Beijing gains that influence is through money. But what does that do for Beijing? What do they get out of that? I think they're they're trying to destroy democracy. Um, and if they need to create confusion uh, and disintegration in those societies through the sort of entropic warfare we've spoken about in the past, uh, then they're fine with that. Uh, the goal is to create vassal states, and you don't have functioning democracies as vassal states. So in the case of Solomon Islands, as you mentioned, Chinese money has been used to buy off 39 out of the 50 members of parliament, which was enough to change the constitution to delay elections. But why should Americans at home care about this? Some might say, oh, this is really far away. But what's, what would the fallout be on Americans? America, there's, there's so many, it's hard to begin. But just from a kind of a basic trade perspective, you know, once China has control over the trade routes, once there's a reason why free and open Indo-Pacific is important, you know, the, you're, you can't get your goods in and out. They control who you can trade with, all that sort of stuff. But from a straightforward moral perspective, um, you know, it, it's sort of like, why is it important if Taiwan gets invaded by China? Oh, that's 25 million people who have become slaves, you know, and we know what China does to to people who resist in China, the biggest victims of the Chinese Communist Party are the Chinese. That is a system that they will export and they won't stop. It's These are expansionist systems. They're going to get closer and closer and closer until, you know, they're at Hawaii, like we saw the last war, or they're in the United States, like they've already done now. Borders are, are fundamentally irrelevant when you're dealing with a country like China that's ruled by a regime like the Chinese Communist Party that uh, is willing to do the sort of things it's willing to do to its own people, but also to others in order to maintain its position um, of preeminence initially domestically and then hegemony globally. And with economic interests and even just freedom fundamentally at stake, what should the U.S. be doing now to really counter Beijing's growing influence in the region to make sure that the Indo-Pacific stays open and free? There are a lot of very brave people in the region who are fighting uh, this. They see what it's doing to their own countries and they're trying to, to defend themselves from it. Um, what they need, the sort of help that they need is, for example, just go after the dirty money. China comes in through bribery, corruption, extortion. And these, these countries don't have, the honest people don't have the capacity to do the investigation into this sort of thing. And often the money is laundered through Western systems. So uh, the corrupt 
prime minister in the Solomon Islands launders his money through Australia, for example, some of it, some of the Chinese money. Start seizing assets, start prosecuting, start saying, if you're going to take Chinese money, you're not going to get a visa to any country except China. So start to impose a cost for the for the crime of selling out your country and your people to an expansionist, authoritarian, dictatorial, genocidal regime. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.